As you know, this is measure of an episode. Our continuing mission is to why am I saying it like it like I'm opening a boxing match? We'll try it again. As you know, this is measure of an episode. Our continuing mission is to explore what makes a Star Trek episode a good Star Trek episode and not just good TV. I'm Paul. And I'm Jonathan. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than our normal episodes. Basically, we're here, Jonathan and I are going to hash out precisely what we mean by a good Star Trek episode, at least in the preliminary. And so I have a list, uh, Jonathan, I think you have a list too, at least in your head. Yeah. Um, no, so I, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, there's a lot of lists on what makes, or like the top 10 Star Trek episodes of every series, or like the the top 100 best episodes of all of Star Trek. And they're, they're obviously very subjective. These lists are always going to be. Um, but there's nothing that really determines the baseline of what makes a Star Trek episode a Star Trek episode. I think that there's a lot of confusion as to what actually science fiction is. And I think that part of our criteria is that it actually is kind of a hard sci-fi concept and not just the fact that it takes place in space, therefore means it's science fiction, which I think is, is not right, is not true. Two lists. I've made a list of movies and shows that actually are science fiction and some shows that are mistakenly referred to as science fiction, but are more fantasy or just sort of fun action adventure type of stuff that where the the setting setting is space right right, but not the not the actual storyline being science fiction right so so things that came to mind were rick and morty that is like hard sci-fi um it's actually one of the better expressions of science fiction that's airing right now as we as we record this in in my opinion the expanse also uh which is a little bit more popcorny but definitely um science fiction uh some harder edged ones are like black mirror westworld um would you consider firefly to be science fiction i don't know really where where i come down on that one no i i personally don't i mean the the only element of sci-fi that i would say is firefly is the reverse yeah it is the reverse okay um but other than that it's a western set in space i mean that's how they advertised it and that's how they promoted it so i think i agree i think it's accurate it's more Star Warsian than it is science fiction, I think. Sure. Also, let, let's not forget Sliders, starring Jerry O'Connell. See, I would 90s. disagree with you on that. I would not say that's sci-fi. Really? I, I think that the con, a lot of the concepts that they run into, where they'll go somewhere and they'll be up against like a new culture thing, like everything will be the same, except uh, you're supposed to turn yourself in to be euthanized at 35. Right there, like that was probably an episode in one of those, something like that. Right, and, that, and then they had to sort of get around that, and that that to me felt very science fiction. Um, of course, there were episodes that were um, decidedly not science fiction, but it actually is a really entertaining show. I, I don't know if anybody ever watches that or if anybody's ever heard of that. I don't but, even know if you can still find it. I I totally remember it. Jerry O'Connell in his prime. Um, yeah. yeah, but the I, I disagree because I think that the. The episode was always they have to get back to their portal before the timeline, and there was always something that obstructed it, and they just had to overcome it. And I don't think, um, I think the the settings may have made like I think the reason why the world jump was there was so they they had a new sandbox to play in every single time, but um, but there wasn't a sci fi obstacle to overcome. So some stuff that is. Um, mistakenly referred to as sci-fi that that jumped out at me is something like Quantum Leap or The Twilight Zone or Lost. I think Lost is usually considered um, science fiction, and it really isn't. Stranger Things isn't really science fiction. 
Um, I think that they all kind of feel like a good example. That's a movie that really isn't science fiction, but everybody thinks it is, is back to the future. I mean, yes, it has a time machine. It has a crazy scientist, but that's not really what the movie is about. It, it, if you think about it, there's, there's a science fiction element. Yes. Of the time machine, but they use it twice in the movie. And really what that movie is about is, I guess, more about a personal story about a, a kid learning about his parents and accepting his parents for who they are, that, et cetera. Right. That's where the idea came from. The, the, he, uh, one of the Bobs was looking through a yearbook and he found a picture of his dad and he said, would he have been somebody that I wanted to hang out with? Um, so the, the idea was not like Terminator. Terminator, I would say, is a sci-fi movie. Um, yes, be- definitely. Yeah. Because like the the idea that came with that that came from was a fever dream where there was a unstoppable machine man coming after James Cameron. Um, But to to back up your your examples, um, I'm confused as to why you say um, Quantum Leap isn't, but Sliders is and where you get off saying Stranger Things isn't. (laughs) <laughs> I've put stranger things more in the fantasy realm than I do. Uh, cause it feels, it almost feels more like a game of Thrones or a, um, Lord of the Rings. Like the, there's always this supernatural, like demon villain kind of thing that doesn't feel science fiction to me at all. And that's usually what's pushing everything along. Um, uh, and quantum leap, uh, quantum leap. There's only, the only sci-fi is at the beginning and the end of, the, of each episode. Everything else is more just about him living in whatever timeline he's living in and what, what thing he has to fix in order to, to make things right, I guess, which is most like 95% of that show is him. I guess he is another person, but if you took out, if you chopped off the first and last two minutes of every episode, you would never know that it was science fiction. I guess Sam Rockwell, not Sam Rockwell. What's that guy's name? What's yeah. the guy's name that the guy that that pops in? Sam. Sam. I mean, that's Sam. Yeah, not Sam, Sam and Rockwell. Ziggy. Right. Uh, really, it's not. There's not a lot of science fiction. I mean, it's a science fiction concept, but they don't really they don't explore the science fiction. I think not really until like the last episode. See, and I would say Sliders is the same thing. Yeah, I might have to uh, agree that I'm right on that one. <laughs> We'll compromise. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, another thing is like Star Wars, even the Mandalorian, definitely not science fiction. Um, no, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the Mandalorian gets the closest. In fact, that's probably the closest to something like Firefly. But um, yeah, not science fiction. So then I guess taking it um, just so the, the audience and me um, are a little bit clearer. So what what is your general premise of what makes a sci-fi show. I mean, this is going to lump into what I think makes a good Star Trek episode as well. I, sure. I think there has to be some kind of crucial interaction with technology. Okay. Crucial to the crucial to the plot, right? It's not that they have ray guns. It's that they have ray guns and those ray guns have to move the plot along in some way. Sure. Right. Uh, which they, they very often do in Star Trek episodes. Um, so, uh, there's that, um, not necessarily all of these, but but at least one of these, where some crucial interaction with with technology, a hard science fiction concept like time travel, or maybe a disparity or conflict with an alien culture. Well, so you're if if I'm understanding you correctly, like science science fiction for you is is literally fictional science. I mean, science is 
in this case, it's technology. Um, yeah, and most of the time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, or it's some element of, um, like, interstellar populations, um, thing, things along those lines that just simply do not exist yet or do not exist. Um, and they're not just the setting, but like you said, they're integral to the plot. Yes. And, and honestly, like there are a lot of times where the science is based on, on theoretical science in the show on, on real life theoretical science. And they just sort of use that as a jumping off point and explore it to the point where, because they're how many years in the 300, 400 years in the future. I mean, does that read for you the same way in terms of what you think science fiction show would be? Yes, um, but I took my premise in a different direction. Instead of um, looking at different sci-fi shows and seeing, you know, what quantified as sci-fi, um, I just stuck with Star Trek, and I looked at those lists of people saying, you know, these were um, uh, the the best Star Trek episodes, um, or you know, these um, these epitomized what the what the meaning is of Star Trek. Um, and I kind of tried to, to boil it down from there of people, you know, who said, yes, this episode is very clearly Star Trek or no, this episode is not. It's just bad schlock in general. Um, and the, the premise that I walked away from, uh, or the, the premise that I took away from it all was that it is a, um, it's a very hard sci-fi conflict. Um, and then the resolution is very relatable and human. Um, so the, the good episodes, the way people resolved it was through, through something that the audience could understand. And it wasn't just reversing the polarity of the single ma- singular matrix. Um, yeah. well, and they usually, I, I think that that was, that's a big trope in Star Trek specifically where they, uh, they will present a lot of techno babble and then another character will quickly break that down into layman's terms so the audience can understand what's happening. Well, and I think – I mean that's for sure what happened in TNG, but I think it got lost in the later series of DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. They definitely you know, they, they definitely did that in, um, in TNG when they were in the writing room. Um, but I think that because the writing room was lost in later series – um, or just because they switched writers and they didn't feel it was necessary or for whatever reason, um, that, that got lost and it just became techno babble solutions. Um, and not even 100% of the time explaining what they were going to do. They just used the techno babble to explain it and they were like, that could work. And then they would, they would try it and <laughs> lo and behold, it would work. Yeah. I remember in Voyager, Tuvok was the go-to kind of tech guy where they'd be faced with a problem. Tuvok would have an idea and he would spout off some techno babble and, and Jane would be like, that sounds good. Let's do that. And then they would do it and it would usually work. And that was the end of it. Right. It was just sort of, I mean, they were good. They were always good at techno babble. It always sort of made sense. Um, Right. And just enough scientific information to be like, okay, yeah, I understand what you're saying to a certain extent. Yeah. And just enough consistency where I could, I heard words that made sense to me, like deflector and shields and warp core. Like it's not, they were, they weren't always throwing in new stuff just to make it sound like there's this endless array of technology that we don't know about. Like they, they were always very consistent, which is what I love about Star Trek is, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of our criteria is that they had a consistency of their terminology and a consistency of what those things did. And so when they tried to push that technology in some way for the sake of the plot, 
it wasn't just this, it wasn't just random words, right? It was actually like, oh, well, in the previous episode, they tried to do this and it didn't work, but they're going to, you know, you could, you could connect the dots. There's actually an episode that I remember where, um, after the hologram, the holodeck was having all kinds of issues. Um, I didn't realize this until I went back and watched it many years later, but the whole episode takes place because they're getting, um, program updates and they're fixing the issues that they had with the holodeck of like having people get stuck in it. Um, and so, so with, with that update, they actually cut down the episodes of holodeck malfunctions, um, to, to finish up my point of what, what I think makes a Star Trek episode. So a hard sci-fi conflict, a, um, a human relatable resolution. And then there's a B plot where a character actually grows by the end of the episode. That's what makes a good Star Trek episode. So it's not just the B plot is a personal issue where there's a conflict and then it's a resolution, but the resolution actually has changed that character in some way. And they were really good at the B plot stuff because definitely in TNG there were, there, I think that was the formula that they did not stray from very often, which was you had the main A plot and the B plot was usually a personal one that was very character related, but the B plot character relation story was always in some way tied to the A plot somehow. Right. It wasn't ever the separate thing. I mean, I think occasionally it happened, but usually it, it was very no, I mean, cohesive. How, yeah. I mean, however, tangentially, it was usually connected in a way, either like the characters having to deal with both the A plot and the B plot because of the A plot, the B plot is happening. Um, yeah. I think, I think that they were always, always, you know, however slight they were connected. And I think the reason why, um, Voyager, at least between us, um, gets such a bad rap is because the B plots were usually just a conflict that was resolved and there wasn't any character growth to go along with it. I think that you could say that about Voyager on the whole anyway with their characters. Uh, the, the characters really didn't grow from the first episode to the last episode. They yeah. didn't, I don't, I mean, if you think, I mean, the perfect example is seven of nine. I know that she came in in the middle of the series, but she's exactly the same person when she first starts on the show. And when the show ends, it's the same, she's the same character. Oh, I would disagree. But I mean, it's, that's definitely a conversation we can have when we get to a Voyager episode. But, um, but yeah, I think seven of nine and Harry Kim, um, definitely were the only, did have growth, but they were the only two. And I think if you look back to TNG and Voyager, um, every character changed for just grew personally one way or the other, whether it was, you know, emotionally, um, like, uh, O'Brien or physically like Dax, um, you know, there was, there was definitely, you, you look at the cast from the first season and you look at the cast in the last season and they, they are different characters, you know, but comparing it to like the original series of Star Trek, um, the characters didn't really grow. And obviously it was a different time period where shows were episodic and they were shown out of order. So you really had to kind of reset. But, um, but yeah, like TNG and, and DS9 both had all their characters grow and then you get to Voyager and Enterprise. And, um, and I think that's part of why they, they really missed the mark was because the characters did not grow throughout the series. Yeah. And I think that what happened with Voyager and, enterprise was those shows started to become a lot more serialized where it happened a lot more often 
where it wasn't just purely episodic and every episode was self-contained where they were referencing previous episodes a lot more and a lot of continuations where even though it wasn't a part two or something like that, it was, they were referring to the last episode in the next episode as though, you know, I mean, so I think that maybe that that could have something to do with why that started happening. So my, my premise of a Star Trek episode is a hard sci-fi conflict, a personal human resolution um, with a B plot that grows a character. do you do you have any amendment to amendments to that or any like thoughts as to what in your eyes makes a good Star Trek episode? I think what what you outlined that I didn't was that a good Star Trek episode and a good science fiction episode are not equal, I suppose. It's not that we're looking for hard sci-fi and that's it for a good Star Trek episode. And I think what you pointed out was that for good Star Trek, it has to have a certain character element that is progressive uh, instead of it just being very plot oriented. I mean, that's a good baseline at least. I mean, we'll probably have revelations as time goes on. Okay. So with that being said, do we want to kick it off and see what our first episode is to discuss? Okay. So let me go to our, yeah, let me go to our handy little random episode generator. We're going to be watching a Voyager episode, Voyager 304. It's called the swarm. Uh, the original air date was uh, September 25th, 1996. Okay. And I'm going to pull up the blurb. What's the blurb? Voyager is attacked by swarms of tiny spaceships. The doctor is losing his memory and Torres activates a program run by a familiar hologram. So doesn't really ring any bells for me. I have, I've seen all of these episodes of every show, right. but that does not ring a bell. I don't know if it rings a bell for you. Not even a little bit. And I know that I've seen <laughs> these more recently than you. Um, I like none, none of those plot points are jogging any kind of memory. So either I fell asleep, I blocked it out, or every Voyager episode is exactly the same. So they all merge together and I, I know, can't like even tell the doc- you. The doctor's always bitching about something. Right. About about himself or something like that. And Tori, Tori, Torres, I remember her kind of just always I felt like they ran out of things to do for her or to give her to do. Absolutely. Right. So they gave she her a love just, interest and it still failed. It still failed. And I didn't care. Like she, it's too bad because she was actually good at, at sort of dividing that line between human and, and Klingon. Klingon. Yeah. She just became techno babble spouter. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I don't know why not just kill her. Just keep killing people. Right. Like they killed, they killed Tess kill Torres and just keep bringing people on. It just makes it more interesting. I guess they would do that now, but yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that more when we get into more Voyager episodes. But if this show, if this show was made now, it would be completely different. (laughs) Right. You mean good? I mean, (laughs) well, yeah. I mean, mean, the, uh, the, the, what's, what's the name of the, the, the ship? Is it, is it Voyager? It's called Voyager. Okay. So Voyager that came back would not be the Voyager that left. No, it would be way more awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Way more I mean, survival. That, that's always one of the biggest conceits of the show is that somehow they manage to, I mean, they're, they're basically stranded in the desert, right? The, the space version of the desert and they somehow manage to keep their, their ship pristine. Like every time, unless it's a part two of something, every time we come into the show in the cold open, it's this pristine thing that you would never guess they were short on supplies or resources or whatever thing that runs the ship, that it, it always looks like this amazing place to live. 
Right. Like I always wished I was on Voyager. I never was thinking to myself, it must really suck to be them. Yeah, they were they were really roughing it out there. You want to take a guess at who the familiar hologram is? When it says Torres activates a program run by a familiar hologram. Like I don't even know what that means. Oh my other gosh. Other than the doctor? Like yeah. no clue. Um familiar ho- what does that mean? Well, yeah, and I wonder if it is like if we if we watch it, we'll go, oh, so that's who the familiar hologram was, or if it's just familiar to her. <laughs> so the whoever wrote this is not talking to us, they're talking right. to Torres. Yeah. So all right, well let's go watch it and we'll come back and talk about it. 